You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. James chapter 1, Lord willing, we'll look at verses 5 through 8 this morning. If you don't have a copy of God's Word in front of you, please pull out uh, the notes provided for you in your bulletin. Inside those notes, there's uh, copies of the Scripture. We want you to make sure that we're preaching the Bible, God's Word, to you. Um, Also, if you have a smartphone... And you've downloaded the YouVersion Bible app. That's Y-O-U version. Uh, after you download it, you can go to the More tab, tap Events, find Mount Carmel Baptist Church, and click on today's sermon title. And there you'll see all the notes, quotes, and references that you can see, save, and share. All right? James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. I want to preach to you a message that I've entitled, Mr. Facing Both Ways. Mr. Facing Both Ways. In the Christian classic, The Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan writes the following. He says, I saw in my dream that soon after they, and he's in reference to the character Christian and hopeful when they left, Vanity Fair, They took over a man walking ahead of them whose name was Baez. So they said to him, What country are you from, sir, and how far are you going on this way? He told them that he came from the town of Fair Speech and that he was going to the celestial city. But he did not tell them his name. Christian said, may I be so bold as to ask who some of your relatives are? Baez reported, almost the whole town is related to me, and in particular, Lord Turnabout, Lord Tom Saver, and Lord Fairspeech. Other relatives include Mr. Smoothman, Mr. Facing Both Ways, and Mr. Anything. Now we're going to get into why they're called that. It is true that we differ in religion or Christianity from those of us of the stricter sort, but only in two small points. All right, listen to how Bunyan describes it. Here's how we differ in our Christianity in two small points. First, we never strive against the wind or the tide. We never strive against the wind or the tide. And secondly... We are always most zealous, most passionate when religion or Christianity goes about the town in his silver slippers. We love to walk with him in the street if the sun is shining and the people are applauding him. Do you notice all the conditions to their discipleship? And listen to Christian, the true Christian. He replied, if you go with us. You must go against wind and tide. 
which I believe is against your principles. You must always, I love this, stand by religion, Christianity, in his rags as well as when he goes about in his silver slippers. You must stand by him when he is bound in irons as well as when he walks the street and hears applause. No, Mr. Facing Both Ways, there is no such thing. In today's text, the Apostle James, the half-brother of Jesus, the pillar of the Jerusalem church, he is addressing Christians scattered abroad all over the Roman Empire and their need for wisdom in the midst of trials and life's pressures. Commentators debate the exact connection between verses 2 through 4, which we studied last week, and I encourage you to go listen to it, and then where we pick up today in verse 5. James is known for sometimes linking topics together by a repeated word. If you look at the end of verse 4, you'll see that it says that you may not lack anything, right? Being perfect or mature or complete. And then notice in verse 5, he says, if any of you lack. He uses the same Greek word. So sometimes you ever talk to that person, and I'll go ahead and be honest, I might be that person in your life. <laughs> when you bring up one word, I'm like, by the way, I got, I got something I got to tell you about. And that's what James could be doing. He thought of the idea of lack and immediately thought of wisdom. But then there's some co commentators that think there is a more substantive link between these two sections. And I tend to agree with them. Some suggest that wisdom is what is needed so Christians can take God's perspective, which we talked about last week, on trials as faith-refining instruments. Remember just the gist of last week that God takes trials, takes our saving faith, puts it under trial, under pressure, to produce staying faith, perseverance, endurance, steadfastness, stick to itness, and what's that ultimate purpose so that we will persevere all the way to heaven. And, and James may be acknowledging you're going to need God's wisdom to a, a, a accept that and appreciate that for what it really is. To take God's perspective on the troubles of your life that he is working them to your redemptive good. Because sometimes we don't see that. Christians can understand how their trials merge into God's plan for their lives. Now the question becomes is, if that's what wisdom can do for us, if wisdom enhances our perseverance or stamina so that we make it all the way to where we just saying when we stand before him complete, how do we get this wisdom, right? We know we need to persevere, but we need wisdom to persevere. So where do we get it from? Let's look at James chapter 5, uh, James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. It says, now, if any of y'all lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. That's an awesome promise. You just need a circle and highlight that. And there's some conditions, right? Look at verse 6. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and 
calls by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Did you notice that? That's not just wisdom. Don't expect to receive anything from God. Being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Now this is really, really interesting. James speaks of those who lack wisdom. Now in the context of, of the first century and when James wrote this uh, epistle to his recipients, some had probably grown weary in the Christian faith. They were questioning their faith and possibly even how God loved them and cared for them due to the difficult circumstances, the trials and tribulations that they found themselves in. Was God inadequate to deal with the situations that had arisen in their life? And wisdom, write this down, you need, this to, need to know what the biblical definition of wisdom is. All right? Wisdom is the capacity to apply biblical truth to daily decisions. Wisdom is the capacity to apply biblical truth to daily decisions. If we say about someone, he knows the Bible really well. So far, we have described a knowledgeable person, not necessarily a wise person. Somebody can have an amazing Sunday school knowledge of scripture. They can give you the facts. You don't want to compete with these people like in Bible Jeopardy. You know what I'm talking about? Super knowledgeable. But that's different from wisdom because wisdom, here's the difference, takes that knowledge and knows how to use it in their life. To use it in their life. They understand the Bible and the world around them, and they are able to use the Bible as a God to their own conduct and to even give advice and counsel and how others should conduct themselves in life's maze of problems. Once knowledge, biblical knowledge, gets passed on into the decisions you make every day, the Bible says, that's wisdom. That's wisdom. Rather than seeking to understand, and this is important, we're not saying that if God grants us wisdom, we will understand precisely why it is we're going through this particular trial or pressure. The wisdom is not so much to understand why. The wisdom is so much as to understand who and how. Who do I need to rely on in this trial? That's none other than God himself. And then how am I supposed to conduct myself during this trial? That's wisdom. That's wisdom. We all need, there's not a single soul in here that doesn't need more wisdom. Especially when we're for, forced to deal with unpleasant or undesirable circumstances in our lives. We've all been guilty of asking why rather than leaning upon the Lord and seeking to understand what we should do in the midst of our trial. I read one fascinating story about a lady whose husband was terminally ill, and her pastor was Warren Wearsby, a great pastor in Chicago. And Warren had asked him, asked her, it was just like a secretary, someone who worked in the church, how can we help you, what can we do for you? And she said, pray that I don't lose this moment. 
I don't waste this moment. What an amazing perspective. We would immediately thought, well, pray for his healing. Uh, she wanted the wisdom not to waste this moment. And that's a good understanding of how to approach trials like this. Here's the big idea. Here's what I want you to take away from today. And I mean it. Take away and use this. It's simply one thing. The prerequisite. The prerequisite for wisdom. Okay, so the condition needed for wisdom is prayer in faith to the giving God. The prerequisite for wisdom, if you want wisdom, if you want to be able to take the Bible and apply it to your daily life, then you need to pray in faith to the giving God. James charges us to ask. The Greek word is real simple. It's to desire, to crave. Uh, you can even maybe translate it this way, to beg. To beg God for wisdom. The intention of diligently seeking a superior for an answer. It's like the helpless child who goes to his daddy for provision. Daddy, can I have this? And he urges them to diligently seek God, recognizing their lack and his infinite supply. And notice the when. This doesn't appear too much in our text, but the Greek text is in the present imperative. So it's a command, an imperative. You need to ask, but the present, usually in the, in, in the Greek tense, is an ongoing action. I would love to tell you that all you need to do today, at the end of the day, is just pray a prayer for wisdom one time in your life and you'll just God will download it. The idea is a continual asking. And, and what I would say is this, the, the prayer for wisdom needs to be asked on a daily basis. God, I need your wisdom for today. And then when you wake up tomorrow, say, God, I need your wisdom for today. Continually beg and ask God. For wisdom, and it will suffice. He'll give us the wisdom we need for each and every day. Isn't it interesting, though? And, and, and here, here's the, the irony. Usually, we only ask for wisdom when either one of two things happen. We've got a, quote, really big decision, right? Or we're in trouble. Oh, God, please grant me wisdom. Oh, God, we have an election. Please grant me wisdom. And the reality is this, I don't know about you, I need help applying God's word to my life, being obedient to God's word, every day in the decisions that I make. Wisdom should be a natural part, and I'm in, in, in a kind of way, uh, maybe a supernatural part of our request on a daily basis. God, give me wisdom to be obedient and apply your word to my life today. Notice the source of wisdom, and I, and I purposely highlighted this in your notes the way that I said it because of how the Greek text functions. The source of wisdom is none other than the giving God. The giving God. This is technically the word for his giving is in the attributive position. It describes him. It's modifying his nature. He is the giving God, or you can say he's the God, the giver, who gives. Now think about this. Let's just pause a minute. And can we just worship God for just a moment? Aren't you thankful that God graciously gives us many good things that we fail to ask him? Think about all the things. I mean, think about all the things in your life 
that you enjoy on a daily basis, just to be frank, that you never ask for. You never thought to ask for. It never occurred to you. And I want to highlight this as an example. If God is that good to you about things you've never asked for, how do you think he's going to be when you ask him for something he tells you, ask me for that? Do you really think he's going to hold back? He is the giving God. He's already been better to you than you've ever prayed. So imagine praying something that you know in his word says, this is my will. Pray it. Like wink, wink. Right? He is the giving God. If we only got what we asked for, our lives would be bleak if we'd be living at all. We'd fail to ask for breath, wouldn't we? <laughs> so he's got a lot more under his control than we ever realized. We ever realized. We live. <laughs> Ooh, I, I can't believe we're really preaching this in, in light of what's been going on the past two or three weeks. But we live in the, quote, information age. And, and here's why this is an, an important distinction to make. Not all that's out there is actually true. Have you figured that out? When we say we live in the information age, all we mean is anybody now has a platform to say almost anything they want. Right? There is more, quote, information readily available today than any other moment. Here, here's the part that I realize and you should utilize too. There's nothing that I'm about to tell you, nothing that I've got up here, that you cannot find on your own. With 2,000 years of church history and the technology we have today, truth is as old as God himself. If anybody is preaching anything new to you, run from that church. There is nothing new. God just keeps giving preachers to keep sure that it's being preached. But that's it. It's the same truth. But yet, we have access to all the books, the magazines, the news sources, every imaginable piece of information. And you don't even have to leave to get it. I mean, mine's right here. I can access any, my whole library. I've got 3,000 books in just one app right here. Imagine that. Imagine if you'd have told some of the, the saints of the church that they could carry a library around with them. It's crazy. Side note, and that should say something about the church that's more biblically illiterate than we've ever been. Another interesting side note. This is a soapbox. I heard this this week, and it's the truth. We bemoan the loss of, like, hymnology in our churches. But a guy made a very interesting remark. He says, the reason why people don't like hymns is because they don't know the scriptures. And I was like, oh, that's pastor's fault. Right? You can only sing so, so deep when you're sitting there going, what does this even mean? Because we've just rid ourselves of theology. The church has dumped it. So what happens? Why do we gather for places like this? This is important. This is important. Why, why if you can get, I mean, think about it. You can right now go home. You can go listen to John MacArthur. You can listen to John Piper. All that, you know what I'm saying? You've got guys out there that will preach the truth to you. 
Why do we gather together? And this is what I think is important. And I'm not saying this because of who I am. I'm talking about the community gathered. It's because more than ever, we don't need another source of information. We need a community that can rightly divide the word of truth and help us apply the Bible in our daily lives. Because see, here's what Johnny Mac and John Piper, they can't come down and talk to you about your life and your situation. That's not their job. But we together, in the word of God, can apply wisdom with this information. What does this truth in the Bible look like for your life right here in Demers, Georgia? That's a different thing completely, right? And that's what we're talking about. What is the word of God? What does it look like for us as a community of believers when we apply it? So ultimately, if churches want to to pave their way forward, is to really be local centers of wisdom. And I don't mean just to get rich or healthy. I'm talking about how, can, how does God's word affect my life? Get back to the theology and the practice that's in the Bible. Notice what God does here, though. It says he gives to them. It's a really interesting word here in verse 5. To all generously. Now you say, well, that's not interesting. It is if you, if you see the Greek. It's this Greek word, haplos. And it really means singleness. Sometimes you'll hear in the old King James Version, I like how it translated, with simplicity. You've maybe heard that before. And the idea is really interesting. It means that God gives sincerely, uncompounded, clearly, and bountifully generously is close to the Greek idea, but the thought itself is much richer. It is singleness. It is selflessness. It is without reservation or hesitation. It signifies God's undivided, unwavering intent to give it to you. He goes, I want to give this to you. It's unmixed. It's not like, hmm, maybe, mm-mm. It's a singleness. That's what we say. Well, then it must be generous because he's so intent. He's single-minded. When he hears the prayer of someone who asks for wisdom, it's like hell of heaven stops. One second. I've got to give this. He's intent on giving it. This is how the giving God gives with a selfless total concern for you and exclusive preoccupation as if he had nothing else to do but to give you wisdom. Isn't that awesome? Look at the next part. It says ungrudgingly. Ungrudgingly. Some of the older translations will say liberally. Or my favorite, or upbraideth not. What does that mean? It means without reproach. God does not find fault in you for asking for wisdom. Have you ever given a ever received a gift for somebody and you just thought to yourself, I should have never took that. They're gonna hold it against me for the rest of their life. Right? You ever been in trouble? You call a buddy, hey, come bail me out. Yeah, but I'm going to remember this every time you ask. 
Or you ask, and the guy's sitting there going like, man, I gave you that last time. You see how that works? So it's giving, but it's grudgingly. It's with reproach. You can't just get it. you got to get the talk, right? you got to get somebody looking down on you. And this is the beauty. When God says he gives ungrudgingly, he's going, I mean, think about this. You're asking me for wisdom again? You got yourself into a mess again? I'm having to bail you out again? And what the scriptures say here, God doesn't do that. Isn't that awesome? Y'all, we're all with gentleness and respect. Stupid sinners. Thank God that he does not hold it again. Like, man, I have told you again and again and again. And if you want wisdom, just ask. No strings attached. Did you notice that? Well, God, like, remember the last time I was in this mess? I, I did do this. Like, not, not necessary. Just, just ask. Just ask. Now, there, there is one prerequisite here, and we're going to see it in just a moment. But I want you to, to talk about real quick, what are some of the ways in which we get wisdom? I want you to understand, I do believe this text is in reference to God giving you a sudden flash of insight. I think it does include that. I think it's absolutely possible to pray and ask for wisdom and either God immediately help you to comprehend and grasp the nature of something or, you know, to, to, to put it in words maybe like this is where you're not necessarily seeking counsel or you're in a counselor's room or with the word of God and then all of a sudden it just clicks and the light bulb goes off. I think it's absolutely possible for God to give you insight in a moment. Okay, so please ask. At the same time, I have to make sure you're aware of the biblical canon of what, all, what the scripture says about wisdom. And one of the other things that you need to realize is don't forget that God's wisdom has been inscripturated into this book. I mean, can, I, can you just pause for a minute to talk about biblical wisdom? We're sitting there saying God's wisdom is here. It's bound up. You can actually handle and open up and read the wisdom of God. And, and yet we have Christians with gentleness and respect who goes, I'm just clueless as to what to do. And most of the time I have found in my own pastoral counseling, it's like, do you remember this verse? <laughs> and again, it goes back to that biblical illiteracy. We can tell you, you know, there's the famous meme right now. We can tell you about our Enneagram and our love languages, but we don't know God's word. We have to know God's word. I mean, think about what's in this book. It's hundreds of precepts, proverbs, parables, principles, wise counsel. And it speaks authoritatively to all the aspects of human life, social life, secular life, sex life, spiritual life. It speaks clearly. It makes no mistakes. It's infallible and unerring in its judgments. We have only to read it, study it in its context, and then go do it. So, and again, I'm not saying don't pray for wisdom, but don't be surprised if you pray for wisdom and God puts you in front of this book. You see how that works? I totally believe that's the case. 
Oh, you want wisdom? Okay, well, just pick that up and do it. To ask God to make us wise and ignore his word is foolishness. It's the, it's the height, it's the, the paradox, the hypocrisy. God made me wise, but without reading. <laughs> You're not going to do that. Okay? James mentions two elements. Two elements. One prerequisite, but they come together in two things. For receiving wisdom. There's two key words. Alright. And it's two verbs. One is to doubt. It's diakrinomai. Now it's really two juxtapositions together here. Dia which can be through. And krino is the, is the Greek word for judge. And it doesn't have a bad meaning. It means to differentiate. To categorize. And in the middle voice it means to judge differentiate or categorize within oneself and so we mean doubt the person is internally divided they're undecided they carry on a self-debate some of you that's probably the best way to think about it. have you ever debated with yourself should i do this or not do this what should i do and it's a vacillation going back and forth between two alternatives Here's the first thing then. So if we're not to pray in doubt, how should we pray? Write it down. Number one is just simply confidence. We should pray in confidence. This is one of my favorite definitions for faith that I found. Faith in, in the semantic range of confidence or trust. Faith is being sure enough, sure enough of God and his word. To depend and act on it. Sure enough. And I'm going to talk about this. It's not perfect faith. It's going. I'm sure enough to know that there is a God. That this is his word. And I'll actually do something. Or orient my life around it. Okay. Because here's the, here's the thing. It's not sure enough. If you won't act. <laughs> right. A faith that with, without works is dead. Some famous guy said. All right, James. So it's having enough assurance that God is here, good, real, listens, has spoken, that I'll actually go out and do what he says to do. Now, this is so important. This phrase then is not demanding because some people say without doubting and you just despair. You go, well, there's never a day I don't doubt. There's never a day I don't have that debate within myself about what God is up to. Without doubting is not saying you must have perfect faith. If this verse is saying you must have perfect faith without a shred of doubt, we will never get any wisdom. <laughs> never. We're not talking about honest intellectual doubt or even a lack of clarity about Scripture. What is the Scripture saying? This is not saying, think about it this way. It's not saying that you have to be so sure that you know how God will answer in advance. If you know how God will answer in advance, two things. You don't need to ask for wisdom. Did you catch that? Because I know what God's going to do. Well, why ask? And then the second thing is this. If you know it, 
in the sense that you can basically tell God what to do, then you're God and he's not. So there is what we call epistemic humility. We do come to God going, God, I'm not completely sure, but I trust you enough to give me wisdom. See what I'm saying? It's like the man who came to Jesus to ask him for his demon possess, ask him to heal his demon possessed son. And you know this, I have prayed this so many times. I believe, help my unbelief. Right? It's like Jesus, and I always kind of people, Jesus, I'm 51% with you. Will you help me with the 49%? <laughs> and, and, and remember, Jesus goes, it sounds like you got a mustard seed of faith. I think I could do something with that. Right? Just a mustard seed. I got it. This confidence, doesn't, confidence does not mean that we are certain that we will receive whatever we ask. But here's what we can be sure enough about. Every Christian can be sure enough about this. That God will act in what is best for us. You can take that to the bank. Now, the hardest part with God is, again, it's the C.S. Lewis. You know, we always question, well, how painful will his best be? Because God, God plays for the end game, ladies and gentlemen. He, this is a hard part thing that we think about things that will affect us three days, three months, three years from now. No lie. God thinks about things in your life a trillion years from now. Well, how does this affect their eternal reward? Nah, well, they'll have to put up with that then. It's just apples and oranges, not worthy to be compared. All right? We don't need to doubt that God cares, that he's powerful, and that he's good. Such doubts, when you're, if you're in that place where you're going, I just don't know if there's a God. I don't know if God hears me. I don't know if God really wants what's best for me. And I've told people, if you're feeling that, that's actually not rejection by God. I actually think he's up to something. I can't tell you the number of times where doubt, at the end of it, when I've, when I've went through a, a doubting phase, that my faith has grown stronger, deeper in its understanding, more robust. So doubt's not a boogie word, you know what I'm saying? It's nothing like that. So when you're in the middle of doubt, I encourage Christians over and over again, that's probably a sign, read your Bible. Study with other Christians, okay? Sing Christian songs, spiritual songs and hymns. You wouldn't believe how much doubt is simply emotional doubt and you need your spirit to be lifted. Okay? So doubt's not a scary word. I don't want to think that Christians come with your doubts and ask God to help with your doubts. But I do believe you can be sure enough that he is there and he can be depended upon to give you wisdom. And then the last prerequisite because it's actually just a shade of difference. So notice what it says here. Let him ask in faith and confidence without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. And then there's this other person, okay? It's not a separate person, but another way to think of the doubter. It says that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord being double-minded. So an aspect of doubt creates another condition. And the word here in the Greek is dasikos, where we get our word psychos, right? Now, I'm not talking about schizophrenic. It is literally to be double-souled. Two-souled is the idea. 
let me explain this. And here's what you need to do. Here's what combats this double-mindedness, and it's commitment. Write it down. So you need confidence in God, and you need commitment. Because confidence in God will cause you to orient your life around God and his word, and it results in commitment. A double-minded person is divided between God and the world. Right? Think of it this way. So I got my doubts. I have my debate. And instead of committing to God, I'm going to try to play the best of both worlds. <laughs> you see how that works? So until this doubt is resolved, I'm going to walk both paths. Mm. And James goes, let me tell you right now, if you're wanting to do that, and think about if this was Christians under persecution, right? Christians under persecution, trials, tribulations, mm, I'm not so sure about Jesus. And until I am... Um, I'm not going to take the stand for him that I should and begin to compromise their faith and their life. So it results in being double-minded. This idea is about being loyal to God who is faithful to keep his promise. In James, asking for, uh, for wisdom in faith means committing oneself to obey what God reveals. Thus, the double-minded person results in James' graphic description of the person Okay, who's like a cork on the sea, and they just bob up and down. They have two souls, so to speak. One with God and one with their circumstances and the things of the world. Augustine, St. Augustine, we talk about him. He's kind of the, the father of Western theology. We kind of always get back to him. He exemplified this in his uh, confessions. He prayed this one time. Oh, Lord, grant me purity. But not yet. Isn't that the truth? How many times like, God, I really want to do this. Just not right now. <laughs> I want to be that guy someday. And what's those? Those are those are prayers that really show ah, double-mindedness. Two souls. Not committed. Disloyal. Double-minded people. They're, they are prey to the shifting wind of every doctrine. To the storms of opposition and persecution. Their loyalty to God is continuously threatened. A trial comes along, they bail. See how that works? Christianity becomes difficult, right? It's walking around in irons. It's being laughed at and despised. And what do they do? Hmm, do I go the other way? This is what Bunyan called Mr. Facing Both Ways. Understand, if you're living that life facing both ways, your prayers will not be heard. They won't be heard. God wants you to be sure enough of him that you'll commit to him. But that doesn't mean perfect faith where you go, I am philosophically certain beyond a shadow of a doubt. I have my doubts, but I'm sure enough that I'll do what God tells me to do. And when you, when you find yourself in that place, Here's what James said. Let him ask for wisdom. Oh, let him ask. And the way I think it's akin to, probably, and, and I'm not, again, I don't want to put myself in the position of God. I'm using this as a personal experience. I feel like when we're not confident or committed to God, here's the equivalent. Sometimes in pastoral ministry, you get a person who wants to have a counseling appointment. They come to the appointment. They, they unleash the burden. And then they want to hear a biblical response. And so you give it. And you say, hey, man, how about you go, you do this, try this, get back to me in two weeks. They come back in two weeks later. 
they tell you about the burden. And they say, hey, did you try what I tell you to do? And what do they say? Now, I guess what my advice is, same thing I told you two weeks ago, <laughs> right? And I feel like that's what we talk about when we're being committed to God. We go to God, God, give me wisdom. All right, here it is. Oh, I don't want to do that. Then you're not going to get any more wisdom. See how that works? You obey what he's given in front of you. Take one step at a time. And he'll grant it. Are you showing the reality of that commitment, that soul allegiance to God in the place of prayer? Does your prayer life, and, I, and this is convicting, this is just the reality, but it will help us see. Is your prayer life like that cork bobbing on the sea? Right? Oh, things are bad, and boy, you get to praying. <laughs> but the person who's, in reality, committed to God and confident, they will pray. They'll pray. Is meditate on scripture. Hey, is that just like the cork on the sea when it's just bad and in trials? Or, oh no, I'm committed to God regardless. And I know, understand this, the, 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 the pandemic puts a whole weird thing in this, but I mean this. Are we forsaking the assembly of ourselves? Because that's really the context in Hebrews where persecution had risen and people were like, I'm not going to church anymore. See how that worked? And he's like, you're just the cork on the sea. And God wants loyalty. Loyalty. That single-mindedness. I can't ever leave you without making sure you make this connection. Wisdom in Scripture is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. I'll go ahead and tell you. Remember how I just said this earlier? Now get, get ready. To ask for wisdom and neglect this book is foolish. Now, there's one more step. To ask for wisdom... And neglect the person who this book is about. Jesus Christ is utter foolishness. It's the epitome of foolishness. Think about this. You can be wise in the ways of the world and reject Jesus. And you are a fool. A fool. He is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God embodied. The smartest most skillful and critically home person who rejects Jesus as Savior and Lord cannot be said to be wise. They're not. If you want to talk about the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, the recognition of wisdom for some of you today is to recognize you are a sinner under the judgment of God and you're in need of a Savior and his name is Jesus. And it'll be the most wise decision you can ever make. Listen to what Proverbs 9, 1 through 6 says. Wisdom has built her house. She has carved out her seven pillars. She has prepared her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her female servants. She calls out from the highest points of the city. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. To the one who lacks sense, she says, come, eat my bread and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave inexperience behind and you will live. Pursue the way of understanding. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to encourage you to pray two things today. Number one, if you have not, like I just mentioned, if you've ignored Jesus You've not acknowledged that you're a sinner. 
in the fear of God's holy justice, then the first wise step in your life, no matter what you're going through, I mean, again, so what if you can get through life's trials and tribulations only to stand before Jesus on judgment day and be rejected? (laughs) So the first order of business is to acknowledge sin and to receive Jesus as your Savior. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Jesus is not dead. He is alive. He is the Son of God who hears our thoughts and whispers. And if you're ready to acknowledge to King Jesus that you're a sinner and you want to commit your life to him as Lord, the supreme authority of your life, then would you call out to him in silent prayer today? He can hear you. Just say, dear Jesus, repeat after me, dear Jesus, I confess I am a sinner. I deserve judgment in hell. But. I believe you love me. You came down for me. You shed your blood and died on the cross to forgive me of all my sin. And I believe God raised you from the dead to prove it. Please forgive me. Come into my life and grant me If you prayed that prayer, I want to talk about what Jesus says is your next step, according to the Bible, is baptism. Baptism is when you show the church in the world that you are committed to Christ, that you believe that Jesus died for your sins. You do that by identifying yourself when you go under the water. You're dying to sin in Christ, and then you come up out of the water, you're saying you believe and identify with Jesus' resurrection for the forgiveness of your sin. And if you've never been baptized, three ways you can take the next step to talk about baptism. Fill out that tear-off panel on the back check baptism. Text BELIEVE to our text from church members or go to our website and click on the baptism tab and fill out the form. Give me a chance just to talk with you, to communicate with you, email, cell phone, whatever, to discuss the next step of baptism. The last thing that I want us to do, and I do want to read this over you. You might even want to look at it. In the very bottom of your notes, there's a prayer for wisdom that I found. And it's purposely left blank at the end. And I did that on purpose. Is It's going to essentially recite James to you. And at the end, it has left a space for you to put in whatever trial or tribulation that you're going through right now that you want to bring to God. So in our time of meditation, I'm going to pray this, this first part. And then I'm essentially going to step away and ask you to pray the rest out to him. Unfold your heart to him for whatever it is that's pressing down on you and ask for God to bring his wisdom to bear on it. Stacy, you can begin to pray. But it says this, Father of light, you delight in your children and are generous to give wisdom to whoever asks. Please fill me with your wisdom. Help me to discern what is best and how to deal with hurts and wrongs. Help me to make good choices and to grow in wisdom every day. You promised in your word that if we feel we lack wisdom, we have only to ask. So I am asking for wisdom today. Lord, I need your wisdom for
Father, you've heard the cries of your children's hearts for wisdom. And Lord, we just simply come together to ask that you grant that now in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen. Uh, at this time, we're going to call ourselves into our special call business meeting. I'm going to ask if you're, whether you're a deacon, an active deacon, or an inactive deacon, if you'll just come up to the front and receive these ballots, I would greatly appreciate this so we can expedite this as fast as possible. Uh, if you're a member, take a moment uh, just to fill these out. Again, you just remember, do not uh, put in any of the people that you see listed. All right, uh, those, those gentlemen, if they're willing to serve, will be on the ballot already in um, two weeks, okay? And then after we vote and after we uh, take these up, we're going, I got a, just a couple of announcements and Brother Rick will lead us in one last song and we'll be finished. And I will do my best so that you... Um, know as soon as possible that I'll, I'll do my best to call through these individuals uh, over the next couple of days so that hopefully by next week of course uh, you'll have an idea of the people you're voting for. Anybody need any ballots? Make sure. Oh, we got Stacy. Shame on us. All right. If you're done, if you'll fold it up, and if I can have my deacons go back through. Hook them up. And while they're doing that, I'll go ahead and give you just my couple of, of brief announcements so that I can uh, expedite our time. Again, if you filled out that tear-off panel, if this is your first time visiting or your, your first time viewing and you text the church, thank you so much. If you filled out the panel, please uh, remember to drop it in the Dropbox. Also, along with, if you're interested in church membership here or being baptized, you can fill that tear-off panel out on the back, check the appropriate box, and, I, and give me an opportunity just to contact you about your next right step. Uh, don't forget to RSVP for church. You can also do that on the back of the tear-off box, uh, I mean, uh, on the tear-off panel, and drop it in the Dropbox, and we'll manually put those in for you. We, we'd be appreciated, very appreciative to do that. Uh, don't forget about Sunday school each week, 10 o'clock. You don't have to RSVP in order to participate, but we want to make sure that you come and enjoy our study together uh, with Brother Charles and, and Sister Cindy. Don't forget, too, if you're a parent of a next-gen student, if, you're, if, they're children, if your children are children's church, don't forget to check your email so that you can sign up uh, your kids and reserve your spot for, uh, for them downstairs. And then check your email for Pastor Aaron's Christian Ethics class. 
Pastor Aaron will be preaching tonight on the subject of how to rejoice under persecution. It's one of Jesus' commands on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Do not miss it. And then I'll be back with you on uh, Wednesday, Lord willing. We'll be in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11 to see the, the complaint of the martyrs uh, in a very interesting study. Thank you so much for coming to worship with us. And uh, again, our purpose is to make much of Jesus. If there's anything we can do for you, please let us know. And I want to encourage us to give a special word out to those uh, I know who are sick and suffering right now. Please, there is no task too small that either myself, staff, or the church uh, would we would be willing to do for you. We would love to help you. I literally had the opportunity to go and just take somebody's mail the other day, all right? And I'm saying that is don't, don't feel afraid like, oh, I'm infringing on somebody. Uh, don't. Let us serve you. Let us love on you uh, the best we can during this time. We understand it's crazy, okay? Uh, but thank you so much for coming to worship with us today. Anybody got any more ballots? Make sure my deacons got them. All right, I'll give you the results as soon as I can. Brother Rick, you come and lead us in one last song. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.